From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Men Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Men Cometh! Good evening, everybody. It is indeed The Dice Men Cometh. It is episode 273 on the 15th of August on the bestest damn podcast slash radio show in all of Australia <laughs> that talks about those things to do with the board games and the role-playing games and the miniature games and all that kind of stuff. I am so unbelievably tired, but I'm one hell of an actor. Can you not tell by the extreme amount of enthusiasm <laughs> that is coming out of me right now? Fantastic. Yes, yeah, so I plan on sleeping during the song breaks, so hopefully you lads can leave this in <laughs> as soon as we get after that. So I am here with my usual uh, cohorts and comrades by the name of Mark. Yes. And by the name of Garth. Thank you. And Laddingtons, what are we talking about this evening? We are talking about all the games that we can fit into one hour of radio time. We are going to start with a game that was so anticipated mm. and then people played. Mm. And then it was not quite as anticipated. But <laughs> it still may be quite interesting. Yep. Or not, depending on your take on this particular game. And then... Look, we're going to have a fight. Yeah. Or a fight, as they say. One of those argy bargy things. Yeah. So, you know those little cartoons that you watch where this little tiny character will stand up and their arms will be out the front and they'll be wiggling in front of them and they'll be ready for a fight? And then we're all going to get into a giant ball of dust and chairs are going to be flying out of it and random stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah, that's what we're going to do because we are going to be talking about our gaming pet peeves. I'm looking at you, Mark Rico. I've got a, quite <laughs> a few worry, things God. to say to you. I got the plenty Leon, of things. You're not getting away scot-free either because while I may be a perfect gamer, you two have a little bit of work to do. Just to um, derail the show completely, what is a pet peeve anyway? Where does that saying come from? What does it mean? I... So anyway, we're also <laughs> going to talk about... <laughs> Um, write in to dicemancometh at gmail.com. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I'll just Google it myself. Don't do that. No, you'll be sleeping. I'll That's Google true. it during a song break. Uh, and then if we have any more time, we might talk about something else. But I highly doubt, given the fact that I know that I'm a good gamer and you guys have a lot of bad behaviour, <laughs> we'll be doing a lot of talking about pet peeves. Uh, around the table, so I dare say that will take us all the way to the end. Look, I am really looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> oh, you would <laughs> say that, wouldn't Firstly, you? because I've got some stuff to say. <laughs> I've got some stuff to get off my chest. But secondly, I just can't wait to hear what lovely things you guys have to say. But before we go to a break, I just want to welcome any new listeners we've got. If you're in Hobart, welcome. If you're in the rest of the world listening on the podcast, welcome. Thank you so much for joining the Diceman Cometh here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. We'll be back shortly with Talking About Games. Hi, I'm Renee. Hello, I'm Anna. And, and we, we like, like to, to listen, listen to, to the Diceman Cometh. Woohoo! Thank you, guys. <laughs> Oh, there we have Karen Owen, Danger Mouse, with Turn the Light here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. You are with the Dice Men Cometh. Full compliment tonight, Garth, Leon and myself, Mark, here. And we are going to entertain you by talking, I believe, Garth, about a little game that we played at one of our favourite four days of gaming on the board. And, you know, I noticed when I listened back to, I don't know if it was last week's episode or the week before, I did, I did call Gen Con BorderCon once. Just That's how much we love it. It's also you're getting on a bit. That could be part of it. But they're also so similar because, 
Well, there's board games involved in both. Yes. That's about where That's the four days of gaming, actually. And it was an amazing interview. I've had lots of feedback to say, hey, Mark, amazing interview. And I'm very excited to let the listeners know that I've had a reply from, I'm pretty sure it's Ignace Trezacek's wife, who also works in the company Portal Games, to say, hey, Mark, hit us up with the time. We're all good for that interview. So look forward to that in the weeks to come. All right. Well, no pressure, Mark, but make that happen, please. <laughs> yes. So, look, yes, let us entertain you, as Mark said, because we are going to go back in time <laughs> to when we were all younger and we were all presumably a little bit lighter or maybe the same weight. I mean, I know I've put some on. I was definitely lighter, yeah. <laughs> However, we in the old days of the Dice Men used to run a BorderCon competition and we haven't run one in the last month or two because... Well, BorderCon's only been a couple of months ago. Mm. And listener of the show, Chris Mann, provided an entry to the BorderCon competition. And it was for Tragedy Looper. Now, <laughs> he also... <laughs> you want to have another crack at that? Tragedy Looper. Yeah, there you He go. then won the competition yeah. to be able to play the game Tragedy Looper. Tragedy... <laughs> Let's just call it Tragedy Looper. Tragedy! With the dice men at BorderCon. His pronunciation was... Tragedy. Chris Looper. and his wife were very lucky to be able to make the trip down. I believe they live in Canberra, so from Canberra down to Albury and Wodonga to play this particular game, whose name will not be mentioned, with the Dice Men as the prize. Yeah. And it was an event. Yeah. Now, his wife had already gone home for the night. She was a bit sleepy. Yeah. But it's also because Tragedy Looper is a game that plays no more than four people. Mm. And I will explain why in a very short amount of time without ex saying the name Tragedy Looper. Now, now we need anymore. to mention this game has been out for when did it come out, Gar? This game came out in, I believe, 2011. So wow. basically the dark ages when it comes to board gaming. Yeah. <laughs> All those years ago. And I, I actually bought this game quite a while ago and I bought it, I attempted to play it, I had no idea what was going on, even though I'd read the rules cover to cover, because back in those days I had enthusiasm to do that. Yeah, and you could read back then. Yeah, not anymore. I'm a grizzled young veteran now, so not anymore. And just, yeah, and failed miserably, and then I think I sold it. You actually sold it yeah. to a friend of the show, Rachel, in Melbourne. That's right. And I actually muled it <laughs> from Hobart to BorderCon and gave it to Rachel. And I, because it was opened, yeah. I read the rules and went... This game seems really interesting. I'd like to play it. When I got to BorderCon, I said to Rachel, I wouldn't mind playing this, and it never happened. Yeah, that was um, before I was a Diceman. That was before yeah. I even knew you guys pretty much at all. That was uh, either my first or second BorderCon. Anyway, glory, this conversation is not about BorderCon. It's, <laughs> no. about, it's about Tragedy Looper. <laughs> is it? Yes. Tragedy. So this game designed by Baker Fire, who has done precisely nothing else. Good on him. Published by himself and a few other people as well, was a game that was so anticipated when it came out because it sounded so intriguing. It's very, very ambitious. And even eight years later, it's very... Uh, well, things have been stolen since, but it's unique. That's I was sure. going to say, until something like Time Stories, I don't think there was anything that really came close. Well, a good thing you mentioned that because we haven't put it into context yet. So <laughs> no, we haven't. Because we can't pronounce the bloody name of the game yet. It's a scenario-based deduction game for at least two players, but up to a maximum of four, where one player will be playing the evil mastermind, hell-bent on everyone and everything 
dying and destructing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got one to three protagonists who are trying to win by not losing. And really, that's it. Mm. There's one person who wants everything to fail, and there's one to three people who want everything just to stay the status quo. Let's call them the good guys. Let's call them the good guys. So this is a 1v many deduction game that is all about certain scenarios which the mastermind will know but the protagonists or the good guys will not know, and that's essentially how the game's going to play because a game will be played out over a certain number of loops, which ties in beautifully to the name of this game, Leon. Mm-hmm. The Tragedy is. Looper. <laughs> yep, that was almost good. So you've got four locations that are going to be outlined on the board. You've got the shrine, you've got the city, you've got the hospital, and you've got the school. They're going to be out there on the, on the table in front of everyone, and on those locations you'll have characters that are just cards and you might have the shrine maiden or you might have a police officer or a doctor or a student or some other characters within them and all of them will be controllable to some extent by both the evil mastermind and the really nice protagonists or the good guys through card play and the game itself will be played out over a certain number of loops in inverted commas a loop is a day and the mastermind will win Basically, if the good guys lose, yeah. so the good guys need to survive the number of loops or the number of days to get to the end. And yeah. in the first scenario, that might be you've got to survive for four loops. If you don't do that, the mastermind wins. Hmm. Now, that's fair enough. The mastermind knows a whole bunch of information, knows everything about this scenario, whereas the protagonists, the good guys, are coming in completely blind. So it's day one. It's loop one. The board is set up. The mastermind knows everything, yet the protagonists know nothing. What do you do? Well, you draw a couple of cards because each of the three protagonists are going to have the same set of cards. And the cards will be pretty simple, actually, because there'll be cards that will allow you to move characters from one location to another. There'll be cards that allow you to cancel movement from one location to another. There are cards that will allow you to add maybe... Paranoia. Mm. There'll be cards that allow you to add intrigue. And really, that's all the cards do. They're not complicated, but they're going to be played face down. And the way Eternal work is the mastermind will play their cards first. It'll be face down on either locations, a city, the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Or they get played on the particular characters within each one. And the mastermind's got the same cards that will do that. But then turn by turn... The protagonists will have their turn and they'll each be able to play a card, or I think up to three cards per round, and they'll be able to do that on each of the characters or locations as well. Mm-hmm. And then you'll resolve those turn by turn. And what you're trying to do as the protagonist is to really stop the bad stuff happening. So it's a game about keeping your head above water. And that's really tough when you're playing against this mastermind who knows everything that's going to be going yes. on and will be doing everything in their power to trigger certain effects Because if they do trigger certain effects by whatever the predetermined time zone in this scenario that you're playing is, really bad stuff will happen. Yeah, the start of this game is very similar to walking into, say, an escape room for the first time, is that you know that there's a puzzle afoot, but you have no idea how it's going to come about. So when you first start the game, it is just kind of 
have a bit of an explore, and then, oh, I think this is where we may be leading. But Correct. But you could be right, you could be wrong. Except that you keep your blindfold on for the first time that you're in that escape room. Yeah. And you're just fumbling around in the dark going, hang on, is this some puzzle that I need to try and resolve or is this a crocodile that's about to bite my face off? Because you are really flying blind. Now, the only piece of information the protagonists have that will give them any guidance whatsoever is the plot summary. Now, this is a page which is a full A4 page oh, and yes. potentially double-sided, yeah. which will give you an outline of all of the potential scenarios that you would find yourself in. And they all have names, which is fine, but more importantly what they have is the list of characters and the list of potential characters in your scenario. So there might be a scenario where you are guaranteed that there is a serial killer or there might be a scenario where you're guaranteed to have a something else. Yeah, a murderer. But you need to be able to figure that out over the course of your loops to then be able to figure out what scenario you're in to then be able to figure out what you need to try and do all in the limited time frame before the mastermind kills, destroys, manipulate things so that you lose. Yeah, so you will have characters, which you know, as you said, but then you will have roles. They'll all have secret roles. And the, the puzzle is to work out which character is which role, and it's really difficult. I mean, I can guarantee that the subject of player aids is absolutely going to come up three or four times, I'm sure, <laughs> in our pet peeves. And in the case of this game, I mean, look, let, let's give it a little bit of a break for its originally produced in Japan 2011 release. I think the English release was actually not till 2014, 2014. by yeah. Z-Man Games. Correct. Um, so as we said, it's a long time ago. Player aids have certainly developed a lot since then. But this is, as you said, Garth, it's like a double-sided A4 sheet full of information about all these plots, all these characters, all these roles. Trying to put that puzzle together, the player aid doesn't exactly make it simple for you. Let's put no. it that way. So this game, before we go into pet peeves, <laughs> would be a contender for a simple game that is the most complicated to understand yeah. and play. Now, the example I'm going to give you for this... It's when I tried to play it and couldn't. <laughs> ..is when I went to print out a very simple description for, say, a podcast that I do. Yep. Right. Now, the number one file on Board Game Geek is the Tragedy Looper teaching script. Ah. Which is a teaching script. It's assuming that you're going to be teaching your very first step scenario and it starts with the story background and tells you, you know, you can go back in time and this is why you want to do it. Um, it then goes through all of the various factors of the game. That script is six pages long. <laughs> wow. And those pages, and correct me if I'm wrong here, are a pretty small font. Yeah, that's dense. Wow. Now, this is a game where on your turn... You're playing two cards, is You're it? playing some cards that'll either move or not move one of the characters around mm -hmm. or add or subtract or forbid yeah. a thing. Yeah, a special ability from triggering, maybe. And that's maybe. all. Yeah. And this game is really, really, really simple... But, oh, does the learning curve stand up, smack in the face, do the little whoop, 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 yeah. and then sit you down, give you a wedgie, 
and then ask you to yeah. play the game. And correct me if I'm wrong, Garth, and I'm sure it won't be. You <laughs> you taught us the gallerist, correct? Where you had a similar sort of teaching script that the designer, yeah, Vital put together. Vital Lacerda had put together, and I think that that'd be lucky to be. 10 pages, I'm sort of guessing, because it was a while ago, for a super heavy, complex Euro game that takes, we've just played it again recently, about four hours, three to four hours to play once you know what you're doing. And we're talking about six double-sided pages for a, what is quite a light game Mm. that can play really quickly. I think think we played it in less than an hour, and that was with the explanation, which, you know, which was expertly done, I must say, and thank God it was because, yeah, playing this out of the box if nobody has played it before, it's the equivalent, I think, of getting like a D&D starter set where no one's been a DM before or a player and just having a crack. You might have some laughs, but it's going to be a bit complicated. Exactly, and I am 100% sure that a lot of listeners will be going, I've no idea how to play this game, (laughs) and that's completely fair enough. I don't expect you to understand, but needless to say... There's a board that may, is made up of four different locations. On those locations are cards, which are the characters. Each player has a deck of cards, and they'll be choosing some of those cards, and they'll be playing those cards on the characters in there. And then stuff will happen, and you'll have to adapt. Look, kudos to Chris. It's probably about turn two that I went, oh, I sort of think I see what we've sort of got to do. Yeah. Sort of. Yes. Um, and it, you know, a light bulb came on about 5% for a for Well, it sort of flickered a for a little while. Yeah, didn't it? yeah. yeah. Um, and look, to give a little bit more background, this game, as we said, obviously was produced in Japan with very much that sort of that Japanese RPG look. Leon, you're yes. our Japanese RPG expert, being a, yeah, a Final Fantasy fan. Yeah. Um, so it has that look about it of a sort of a contemporary Japanese RPG. It's very anime in look and I guess in spirit kind of as well with a kind of sci-fi yet kind of modernish kind of theme to yeah, it. Yeah, and it's funny because I've only seen this version, which which is the English translation of the Japanese, but still has exactly the same Japanese art. And I notice, Garth, when you brought up the, the BGG page, there's a very white-looking version mm. that I've never, ever seen before. So I'm only guessing that that one hasn't got much circulation because every copy I've ever seen of this is certainly the uh, the JRPG look. Well, I have a feeling that it kind of sold a lot really quickly yeah, and then people played it really quickly and then went, I don't want to play this anymore. Yeah. I would rather play something else because you need to play this over and over again and you need to play it over and over again with the same group of people yes. because if one player gets the advantage, and if one player wants to be the mastermind every time and knows what they're going to do, they're going to destroy the protagonists. There is no doubt about that. So the reason we're actually talking about this, normally when we do our what we've been playing, we normally talk about something that's kind of brand new in the Mm. hotness or we talk about a game that hasn't been talked about in a long time but a classic. This game was all right. I think it was fine. Yeah. But it's probably neither of those two things, that's for sure. But the reason I wanted to talk about it and bring it up is because it's influenced so many games these days that are extremely popular, whether 
the designers these days knew it or not. Like, this game is so ahead of its time. If this came out now and it was a, maybe a little bit more simplified, I'm sure it would probably be quite a hit. But back then, it was that complicated. But you've got to think, it's got things like hidden roles, which every game's got a hidden role now. Back then, it wasn't such commonplace. But as you said, it's, it's a story-driven game, which is the games nowadays which sell nearly more than anything else. You know, something like Pandemic was a huge game and then they basically put a story on it and then sold Squillian copies. <laughs> yes. And then you get your time stories and then you get your things like the escape rooms in the box, which became a phenomenon there for a bit. Might have died down a bit now, but it's it's still a big deal. Oh, and I then, don't know whether it's died down, I reckon. And I then with all the different puzzle aspects and different roles and stuff, the it very much reminded me of a game which is... Uh, kind of a staple of the Australian con scene these days, which is Blood on the Clock Tower, which will be in a lot more homes around the world very soon, because that game, from what my experience of playing that, is kind of the same thing. You get an A4 with heaps of different roles on it, and it's not a simple game by any means. It's a reason why I'd call it Werewolf Advanced, 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 because you need to know all those roles, and you by looking at people's actions, you need to go, okay, so they did that and they did that, so they may be that role, but they could be that role. Blah, blah, blah. It's very similar to that, and as we were playing it and trying to figure out that, I just thought it was odd that this game from so many years ago that had been forgotten, nearly every single turn I was just like, oh, yeah, that game that came out a month ago pretty much does that thing. <laughs> well, uh, my thought was if you're a group where... Time Stories has tickled your interest, but it just goes on way too long and, you you know, you get bored by the fact that basically when you start that second run, at least the first half of the second run is going to be exactly the same as the thing you've just done. Yeah. And you want to play something in half the time. Yes, it doesn't quite have the story, the narrative elements, all the different settings that the various Time Stories expansions have, but if you're that group you might quite enjoy this. And, of course, the difference is obviously there you're all playing as a team. Here you've got one versus the rest. But I don't know. I think there are people out there that this would scratch an itch and it would be fascinating to see a modern update with the lessons we've learned over the last eight or nine years of producing these amazing narrative-based board games like Detective or like Holding On, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr, or these things that are really starting to shift the paradigm of play away from, hey, let's have fun and tell a nice little story into what if this happened? What if that happened? What if we weren't all nice? What if bad things could really happen? And apply that to this game. I think there's something there. There, there certainly is, and it must be said that this game does deal with suicide and murder and a whole bunch of very, very serious Mm. topics, but... There are still such a limited number of games where you as the player aren't controlling direct meeples, characters or anything. In this game, you are kind of like an overlord with influence over a whole bunch of characters and, in fact, influence over locations. And you're not directly impacting that student that's sitting in the schoolyard doing a thing you could potentially be impacting the school that they're in. And that is a really fascinating just decision that you need to be making. And it, it, it does it to some degree really successfully, but I think ultimately it gets a bit too caught up in its own mechanics for this game to overall be fun. So I agree completely with you guys that if this game was rehashed and re- readjusted and just redesigned, I think, yeah. Yeah. there would be a lot of lessons that the last eight or nine years of design could have taught us where this game could still be a fascinating little project, but also fun. Yeah. 
And funnily enough, because this has an, an anime-type theme to it, it actually follows a, um, a quite a classic anime trope in that in a lot of anime-like TV shows, they tend to take four or five episodes to do something they really could have done in, like, one. It's a I'm Jap- looking at you the last 30 seconds of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Which took uh, two seasons or so, probably. But it's not just that. It's, it's a very similar thing with Japanese cinema and um, books and everything. They Video yeah. games as well, they tend to stretch them out. Not that they're bad at all, but they do tend to stretch things out. Whereas this is kind of the same with the, the rules explanation-wise. If you could streamline this and make it an, an easy way to teach, and someone makes, someone could just make a better rule set and player aid for the like the components are fine, mm. and the idea of the game is fine. If someone could define that in kind of a modern you know way that we know how to do things now, I think it could be a belter. Look, I would like to say thank you to Chris. I yes. mean, if 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 people are thinking we didn't have fun with this, oh no, it's good. We had a fun time. I guess the only thing was, you know, hey, we're the Dice Men. Along comes some listener and basically wipes the board with us. It was his chosen game, so fair enough. Did, didn't we agree to let him win? Oh, oh. Uh, yes. Yes, of course we did. Yes, yes. After the game, we agreed that, <laughs> that was the yeah, Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure I, that's what we did at some point. I, I just wanted people to know, you know, it's not like we had a bad time with Chris. Not we had a ball with no, this game. Um, it was great fun. And I think hats off to him for picking a game that was, as we said, we both had an interest in it, Leon, but really yeah. we were never going to play, let's no. face it. And so to bring us back to something that we did have an interest in but unbeknownst to us had sort of forgotten about, I think was very clever of yeah. him. Yeah, you really need someone to put in that effort and essentially be that DM for this game to be to work well. Yes, and then wipe the floor with us. Yes, that too. <laughs> so, look, Tragedy Looper is worth... A- I think an hour of your time. Sure, definitely. But you need to invest a little bit of time to figure it out and you need someone who is passionate about it and mm-hmm. arguably you need that person to be a protagonist and not the mastermind because if they are the mastermind, it's a one-way game. It's not going to end up <laughs> with any tension or what have you. I think Chris was nice he was. and he let us last a couple of loops <laughs> maybe, you know, longer than Enjoyed we should have otherwise. But I think there's a, there's a, there's enough in this game to make it interesting, and for something that is approaching nine years old now, yeah. um, it still stands stands the test of time and is a lot better than a lot of other games out there. So that's tragedy looper. All right, well we're going to come back and talk about those pet peeves, including talking about what a pet peeve actually is. But until then, you've got some ear hole music. My name is Cameron. The dice men rule. And they had me at hello. Well, there you go. That was Girl Pool with Pretty or with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Now, Mark has a community service announcement. The term pet peeve was introduced to a wide readership in the single panel comic strip, comic strip, The Little Pet Peeve, in the Chicago Tribune during the period 1916 to 1920. A pet peeve... Pet aversion or pet hate is a minor annoyance that an individual, Leon, identifies as particularly irritating to them to a greater degree than would be expected based on the experience of others. The phrase analogizes that feeling of annoyance as a pet animal that one does not wish to give up despite its objective lack of importance. (laughs) So there you go, Leon. Okay, I'm glad I know that now. That makes that makes perfect oh, sense. Oh, hang on, look at this. 
Pet peeves often involve specific behaviours of someone close, uh-huh. such as a spouse or yeah. significant other oh, podcast. Oh, here we go. Pal. Here we go. Good so, the reason I want to bring this up is because uh, when I went to LFG recently, have I mentioned it? Mm. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I got to take a part of the uh, in the Proto Spiel, which is as I've said before, where uh, new designers come and first time designers come to show off their their prototypes, ideas for games, and various different things, and they get certain board game. You know, industry experts, luminaries, and luminaries. Yeah, I'm a luminan. Illuminaries, and they get Illuminati like me <laughs> oh to, to give them feedback and whatnot. And I just noticed that one of the things that people ask me constantly was, "What well, what are some little things that we can try and avoid?" Because as Leon, we know, what are your pet peeves, old boy? Yes, something to that, something like that. Yes, because little things are annoying, but then when lots of them happen, it can change somebody's opinion wholeheartedly, even if the thing you're playing is really, really good. Yes. But if three or four things happen, you just kind of go, nah, that's the only thing I'm going to remember those three or four things. So these are pet peeves that I wanted to talk about. Mm. And then I asked you lads to come up with a few of them. Ooh. I came up with three or four. <laughs> you guys somehow came up with about 40 each. We played a lot <laughs> so more games than you, Leon. You're a lot more curmudgeonly about this hobby than I am. <laughs> I don't blame I'll say so. So I will start, and I will start with something that was referenced a bit earlier in the show, and that is uh, player aids. Now, many, many games, almost all of them have player aids these days, but there's a specific thing to do with player aids which it irks me, and almost you could say is a pet peeve of mine, (laughs) and that is double-sided player aids when they don't need to be, which is 99% of the time. I understand if you've got a game that is literally like a deck of 52 cards and that's the way that you had to get it printed from the printers, that's a bit annoying, But okay, but that's a very rare exception. Normally, you can get extra cards and stuff printed. Do not make me flip over a card constantly during a game to get information that I need to just look down and see straight away. If you need that much stuff, you put it on two different cards and put them next to them, or you put one big old card... If you have, if you look at it and go, oh, I'd like to put that in my game, but I'm going to have to, you know, print these extra things and it's going to put an extra dollar or something on the price of this game. Do it. I won't know about that dollar, but I won't know about having to flip that bloody thing back and forth. Uh, Leon, Leon, I say, yeah. old chap, I've got a pet peeve. Well, hang on, a bit, a bit, a bit of feedback first. Similar. Um, so well, my, my pet peeve in a similar vein, sorry to interrupt, Mark, is when games that really should have them don't. In this because case, I would much rather have a double-sided, annoying player aid than zero player aids oh, yes, for no a game excuse. that is desperately dying. I think dying that's, that's more a of game. a pet stupid that I <laughs> just do not expect in this day and age. That pet should be shot. Yes, exactly. So that's almost not worth mentioning. <laughs> well, mine is closely related because, let's face it, we play a lot of games on a lot of boards. A lot of boards have a lot of board space. Some of the best board games you play will have a little turn rundown on the side of the board, which is brilliant because everyone can see it. It's there every single turn because every turn you're doing those things, particularly when it's a game that has a very structured turn, if you've got space to put it on the board, put it on the board. Yeah. Sorry, that was a little bit loud. And if it's a double-sided board, put it on both well, sides. Well, actually, I played a game the other night, which I haven't talked to you guys about. It's in the, the role-player universe called Lockup. Okay. And in that game, there are about four different decks of cards. Some of them are like item cards, event cards. You know the usual type of tropes. Mm-hmm. Th- I think out of the four decks, like three of them have spots on the board, and they're incorporated into the really cool board with really cool art and stuff like that that have the, the sp- 
spot for the cards and then a spot for like the discard pile. Then there is one of the decks which doesn't. They just say sit next to the board. It's like what? Don't get either. Hey, all of them sit off the board. Or, are you reading my notes? No. This is the next one. Specific spots for some things and not others. Yeah, I don't understand. It. Like I mean. Space, I understand an issue, yeah. but there are some games like that lockup game. You could have done it. There was one. What it was? Champions of Midgard, the yeah. game that I quite like. Again, that does the same thing. One or two sit off the board, and there's a big chunk of river in the middle of that <laughs> board. Just like, what are you doing, man? Oh my god, I completely agree. Now, no one has anything except enjoyment when they open a box for the first time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know that that the fart, the, the, the fart noise, oh, cardboard yeah. fart. Yeah. And then you open it up and you go, this is all horrible because the insert <gasps> is garbage. Yeah. You're reading my notes too, Gar. And then, to make it doubly worse, where's the bags? Oh, There's not yes. enough bags to put all this stuff in that I've punched. You guys, seriously, I'm looking at you board game publishers because either make an insert appropriate for me to store this game or give me enough little bits of plastic mm-hmm. for me to put all my chits in there because I don't want two bags for ten chits worth of stuff. I want my chits individually compartmentalised. Thank you very much. Or when it looks like it's really difficult to organise in the box, so you write a social media post about it and then somebody straight away says, Leon, have you looked in the lid of the box? And you look in the lid of the box and go, oh, there's a handy guide on how that I should oh, well, this. Oddly <laughs> enough, oddly enough, I did have that written down here. <laughs> that complicated games with a lot of things should have that very component. And I do want to tip my hat yes. to Stone Meyer Games because my first memory of a fantastic reboxing guide was the side of Scythe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got the deluxe edition of that and it tells you this is how you repack that game full I mean, stuff. nearly, actually, that's not even a pet peeve. That's just something for any designer out there. Nearly nobody uses the inside of the bottom of the box. at uh, like Definitely not. Lid of the so. box, I should yes. say. For anything. You can put whole backstories on there if you don't want to put them in the rule book and make it, you know, because people pick up a rule book and go, ah, oh, 20 pages. That was 10 pages and you'd have put heaps of story in the inside of that box. Cool. But you know why? Why? Because people forget to look there, Leon. Yes, I know. <laughs> but if we learned because we knew every game did it, we'd, yes. we'd do it more. Well, they, it's a good habit to, to form. I would like to mention we get a lot of differently shaped boxes in our hobby. Yes. Why? I mean, games are different sizes. Ticket to ride boxes that standard size. Sorry, I'm going to write. How do you spell that? T K I Y. Shut up, guy. Okay. Look, I don't mind if you have your box a different size, but don't make it a weird size. Don't make it really long and narrow. Don't make it hugely fat unless, hey, you're Gloomhaven and you still can't fit everything in even when you unpack it and put the lid back on. And tins, tin boxes. Uh, I mean, the little mint tins, I get that. It's a thing. We're making a mint tin game. It's in a mint tin. That's there for a reason. But tin boxes... Make my boxes fit nicely on my shelf and look nice and have some shelf presence. I mean, Sushi Go Party is an amazing game. However, even with a nice plastic insert, you put all the cards in the little insert and it looks good, but all the cardboard bits of the ingredients that you're going to use when you're playing that game don't fit in that insert. So the tin and the insert 
aren't functional. Damn Phil yes. Walker Harding, game right look games. at you. Yeah, you. Basically, if it doesn't fit in my Cadillac, you can you can go to hell. Especially if it's only just off by a little bit and you just oh. it's nothing worse. Now, Leon, yes. we're taking over your show. Sorry. That's yeah. fine. Um, you guys are clearly a lot more angry at me. <laughs> That's fine. Um, the next one I've got is uh, score tracks. Nearly any game that has victory points, which is, well, it's, it's every game in it these days. They so all... I didn't mention that about Tragedy Looper, actually. No, oh, yeah. You're fair. not trying to... Get VPs. Yeah, for, for different. You're just trying to survive. All score tracks that are around the sides of boards, the fact that they have numbers on them, you know, to show when you're moving ahead, the ones that ha- don't have individual numbers when they could easily have individual numbers drives me up the wall. Like, there is, when it's done by five, so like there's one and then there's five, ten, fifteen, it doesn't bother me too much. But we've seen some games in the past where, like, it's one then 10, and then... Twi- <laughs> but I've even seen some that are like 1, 10, 25, like weird yeah, numbers. Just yeah. like, what are you doing, man? Well, like- one, sorry, when, when you <laughs> mentioned that you were going to mention this, yeah. my mind immediately went to one of my favourite games, Torres. Yeah. Because <laughs> the score track goes around in increments of five yeah. and not surprisingly starts at zero, yeah. but it finishes at the end of the board track before it then repeats on itself at something like... 47? They're like 264. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you've got to go back Stupid and recount it over and over again if you pass over that point. It is just ridiculous. They're empty squares yeah. that could easily have one, two, three, four, five in them. Yeah, it's, it's not it's, that hard. Yeah, that's, numbers are there for a reason. They're good things. <laughs> People should use them. <laughs> hey, can I, can I come in here? Yes, no. you may. I want to talk about expansions. Mm. No. So I've got two pet peeves about expansions. Firstly... Expansions that don't fit in the base box. Yes. Now, I get it. I get it. You've made a game. It's a really good game. You didn't know if it was going to sell a lot. Uh, you put it out there. It sells gangbusters and you go, oh, we we need to do something else to add to this game to make it. And maybe you didn't think of that before because, you know, maybe you're a shy retiring game designer and you just thought, I just want to put out one game and you didn't plan the 10 or 50 expansions like most game companies do these days, make some space for it in the box. Yes. No, well, the thing is, and I've already said this about a dozen times this show, in this day and age, any designer, I think, that designs a game, normally they take bits out as they go along and edit it down, and a lot of those things then get put into things like expansions, and they always, you know, because when you ask a designer that's designed a game for the first time, if you were to ask them 10 questions, chances are one of those is going to be, any expansions in the work. Yep. And they know that as designers. So to flat out go, oh, I'm not thinking about that at all. So the game is what it is. If I think of an expansion later, sure. That's very unlikely, I think. See, I would slightly change the topic because I think that's an, a, a, a testament to the fact that in Kickstarter, expansions are a given, mm. but in retail releases of years gone by, yeah. it wasn't. Yes. So I think that's maybe something that's not going to be a factor anymore because more and more games are being kickstarted now that expansions are either part of a stretch reward or are already designed because if the game does go well, then it's going to be a stretch reward. Now, let me, before you, I get, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. off topic, I also have a, a little thing to say about expansions. The first thing is when you release an expansion, the mismatch cards, they're not oh, the same colour. Yeah. They're different card stock. They're a slightly different shape. Again, there's something else. It is just absolutely redonkulous and in a similar vein. And I'm looking very squarely at Machikoro. When expansion cards don't have a symbol, 
to determine oh. that that card is from an expansion so that if you want to play the base game, you can't just break oh, it yes, down and yes. separate it all. Grr. Yeah, that's that's just ridiculous. Well, look, while we're still on expansions, and maybe maybe you guys haven't come across this before, but <sighs> lucky I haven't had my interview with Ignace Trezacek yet because have you ever heard of an expansion that you use not 50% of the base game, not 25% of the base game, not even 10% of the base game, but let's say a handful of cardboard <laughs> tokens is all you use from the base game in your expansion. I've never designed and produced a board game. What? So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what one cardboard sheet A4-ish size of tokens might cost. But to call an expansion an expansion when the only thing it doesn't have is that set of 25 or 30 cardboard tokens that are as big as a $1 coin, Now, perhaps. would you randomly call your expansion Detective V2 or well, something? Perhaps I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, perhaps you would. Like, to me, why wouldn't you make a standalone expansion charge surely not $5, maybe $2 more to include that cardboard sheet of chits. I I don't get it. I do not get it. Have you ever come... I mean, there are plenty of games where there are standalone expansions. I don't have a problem with standalone expansions. I think they're fantastic because you can sell the base game <laughs> and play the expansion. But when you have the dilemma of, will I sell the base game and just pretend, you know, keep track of the chits on a bit of cardboard or in my phone or something or will I go on board game geek and buy the geek bits bits set for 20 bucks of really nice chits so I can play the game without the base game have you ever come across a game that uses so little but still says it needs the base game to play that's diabolical no it is kind of ridiculous yeah Leon yeah um should we possibly throw to a song? Because I think you guys are getting a bit. I think you guys are getting a bit overexcited, might, a, bit, a bit heated. It I'm might be. seriously, my heart rate is over a hundred now, and uh, we haven't even, hot in here, though. We haven't even talked about our players' oh pet peeves. Yeah, no. I'm actually at 98. Yep. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick. Let me tell you one thing. Actually, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. Hello, everyone. It's Mark here, the eldest statesman of the Dice Cometh. Just wanting to take a quick opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that has been supporting us on Patreon recently. We've had a little bit of a jump in supporters and we appreciate it so much. Every cent that you give us goes into getting us to board game conventions, things like BorderCon, PAX, SN Unplugged and even hopefully early next year, CanCon where we can report back to you on what's happening. We'll have interviews with designers and artists and publishers and gamers as well, and you'll know what you're missing out on. We appreciate your support so much. Look, if you've been on the fence thinking about whether or not to support us, I say just jump in for as little as a dollar a month. You won't even notice it, but we certainly do, because unfortunately, airfares out of this little island where we live are pretty expensive. But hey, enough of me. Let's get back to the action. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. 
That was H Pride with Different Road on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Up, oh, it's still going, apparently, <laughs> uh, with the Dice Man Cummer. So you guys have had a chance to calm your jets, to cool down, but I haven't, so I'm going to get stuck straight into it. Now, uh, something that did come up quite often um, in the Prodo Spiel was uh, rule books and people talking about how am I supposed to have a rule book. And I said to a lot of people, you've got to realise that you can test this a million times when you're over people's shoulders, but at the end of the day, when people get this in their house, they're going to have that rule book and... Again, in this day and age, they're going to have YouTube. That's how they're learning games, and that's how we learn games, between those two things. Mm. So they both need to be pretty good. So when it comes to rule books, and I've said this before, and I'll probably say it many times over, every rule book... Now, I know I want things to be unique, because unique is fun. However, when it comes to a rule book, I want, when I open the cover, I want some flavour text. Then I want to very quickly see a picture of the board and how it's set up. Then the next bit is very, very briefly... A game overview slash how to win, how a turn works. Because when I teach a game, mm -hmm. that's what I do. I tell people, I give them a bit of a flavour to this is what the game is like. Then obviously they've come to my house, they've got the board set up in front of them. And I tell them, right, this is how you win. This is roughly how a turn works. This is how the game's going to go. The rule book should teach me that, same as I'm going to teach the people yep. that are playing this game with me within the first couple of pages. I've seen rule books that have had those several different things like, I've seen a game which hasn't told me how a turn works until, like, page six or seven. Ah, oh, that's diabolical. Leon, I could not agree with you more. Oh, yes. All I want to know is how do I win? Yep. And then how do I go about winning? Yep. And now that gets me to a pet peeve about rule books as well. Yes. Is that how hard is it to just put an index in there? Oh, yes. And have the last page or at least a page where it's the component list? Because how many times do you get a game that you may have bought through a second-hand something mm -hmm. or other and you got no idea whether you got the half game or the full game. I bought a game of Friday, the solo game, that was sold to me as a complete game. It had eight of the 11 cards that I needed to play, so I had to buy it again. Oh, but I didn't know that. Yeah. No. Give me an index, people. And the other thing is, and I mean, look, I think we're, with these type of games we're talking about, we're talking about your, your game's with a board and lots of components. We're not talking about a game that's just a deck of cards. Let's have a picture of the board all set up with nice little numbers and then your setup guide, which will have numbers that refers to those pictures. Yep. So it deals with people who read, it deals with people who look at pictures, and all of a sudden you go, what have we done? Oh, we've got nothing over there. Like, it's so, so easy. Yeah. Second thing, Leon, you mentioned YouTube. Yeah. Is there any excuse to not have a rules video? Now, I mean, no. I think I'm looking at the the bigger game companies. I mean, you've got Rodney and you've got so many others that do amazing job of producing concise rule videos. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're charging thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm sure there are those of them that aren't even charging hundreds and hundreds of dollars to produce a video that is going to sell your game for you and make sure that people will actually play it before going, oh, I can't work this out, let's let's move it on. It just and needs it, to be functional. And if not, do it yourself. I mean, nine times out of ten, if you're doing a lot of these kind of things by yourself, you've been to cons and you've talked to people about it and you've taught them very quickly how to play the game, even demoed it. Just do that with a camera in front of you. It's not difficult at all. All right, let's move on. We've got... Not much time here. Leon, mm -hmm. have you got anything else, old nah, man? No, no, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all, I'm all happy now. I have oh. one more. <laughs> if you've got an unclear rule and you're not going to clear it up really, really a lot, then at least have it be 
follow the sort of the common conventions that in most games you would think. There's nothing worse than you can't quite work out what a rule means and you go, well, in all these other 10 games, this is how it would work. So yep. let's assume it works that way. And then you find out because of a BGG search or something, it works in completely the opposite direction. That is so frustrating. Absolutely. So look, rule books, spelling errors are not forgivable. No. I understand that a lot of board game designers, English is not their first language, and it is completely naive for me to think that, but there is no shortage of abilities and people who will be willing to provide a little bit of spell check correction. I have you guys. Sorry. I agree, Mark. <laughs> Ambiguous rules is a very pet peeve. I think games that say two to seven players. No, you're not. You're three to seven at least. Yeah. You're not a two-player game if you also play I mean, play we've talked seven. about that before. stupid. Nearly every one of them is wrong. Uh, my ones. Okay, players disengaged who don't listen to how to play the game and then question uh, every single turn. What am I doing? What did you just do on your turn? I wasn't paying attention. Put your <laughs> phones away, people. Stop being so rude. Yeah. Whingers. Anyway, people leaving mid-game. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Well, Sometimes life gets in the way. <laughs> All right. Oh, dear. Couples playing as a team in a competitive game. So, I don't see that very often. No, but only has to happen once. <laughs> another player, Mark, taking another player's turn. <laughs> in a non-cooperative game. <laughs> some waterbacking and taking a turn verbally for them. Sometimes people just need a bit of help, Garth. And most importantly, when players are not trying to win. Oh, yeah, there's yes, nothing worse yes. than that. And all they're trying to do is improve their relative position and would rather come third instead of fourth. Well, that is what? trying to win, isn't it? No. Isn't that trying to win? No, there is never. I have not found a game where you get a gold star for coming third instead of fourth. I think this is a whole other conversation. <laughs> Players, now, gamers, go. if go. you are not trying to win a game... What the hell are you doing? Well, they're playing co-op games, clearly. <laughs> now, Garth, I hear, just before we go, we've only got a couple of minutes left, you've got some very exciting breaking news. Oh, dee -dee 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 -dee. I've got some secret news that I can't tell you anything about, oh. except right. that I hear there is a breakdown <gasps> in the Eagle-Griffin games oh. and Aetherworks relationship oh. because hmm. there will no longer be... Aetherworks distributing Eagle Griffin games in Australia anymore. Ooh, now, I do not big. know who is breaking up with whom, but after the uh, escape plan issues where a lot of Australian gamers didn't get their games or didn't get the bonuses and didn't get a whole bunch of other stuff, there seems to be uh, a little bit of an issue there. So it presumably will come out a little bit more, but I have got some secret squirrels telling me that uh, works won't be doing any more Eagle Griffin stuff, which is pretty interesting, especially because I'm waiting for On Mars yeah. to come out eventually, and I want that game. And that, that's two big players in our industry there, Massive that's for players. sure. Yeah, so, Aetherworks do the distribution for a bucket load yeah. of Kickstarter companies, so this is interesting. Which I think is probably the issue, most likely. Well, <laughs> I don't know, I can't speculate. All yeah. I can say is if you're not trying to win a game, <laughs> it's not about trying to improve your position relative to the other players, you're trying to come first. Anyway, let's take that one offline, Garth, Keith. because <laughs> no surprise, 
We filled our show packed to the brims. It's starting to leak over the sides and all down onto the floor of the Edge Radio studio. So we better get out of here. Let Neil Steele and his steel wheels come in and rock the house. We'll be back next week with way more games. And t- this has been an edit of the Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.